Ready for the interview And if you get a cue Live on the laptop Watch what I'm gonna do Welcome to the show Let them know we got a point of view Hey, yo Let's have a combo Say what you feel Be real, that's the motto Real talk, pronto Doctor D, PhD Hit the intro Hold up, wait Gotta be social Network global Home for the locals Gotta be social Network global Home for the locals all right, Courtney, we made it here. We're here. Yay! Well, today is a real honor because uh, I don't normally talk to people that I know actually on this podcast. And uh, I don't either, Darian. And yeah. I am just so excited to talk to you professionally. We talk personally all the time, but this is yes. super fun. So I've known Courtney for like, I think it's like 10 years at this point. It's been like a decade. It's going on a decade, Courtney. It's a long time. It's a long time, Darian. And I know for, for the listeners out there that uh, Courtney is a very private person. I know this. So she doesn't often do these things. And so I, I, it's a real honor to actually be doing this with you in this setting. Thank you. Thank you. And you certainly do know that about me. I think I don't necessarily come across as introverted, but I'm actually quite introverted. I'm really a researcher at heart. I like to work in my little lab, in my desk, with my reading and writing. And being public is actually not the easiest thing for me, but it's something that I've been practicing over the years because I think it's so important to have open, meaningful conversations in a public forum about psychology because really the goal is to use the material to help yourself. And so if I want to promote the material and, and share it with people, I actually have to get pretty public. <laughs> well, let's talk about something that's not very easy. Let's talk about love and particularly your book, Letting Go of Your Ex. Great book. Everyone will have the add on. You'll be able to listen how to get at the whole thing. But um, I know this from knowing you, but how did this come about and wanting to talk about breakups, which is something that is a pretty universal topic among most people? You know, Darian, it's one of the most common reasons people come to therapy. All of us as adult humans at some point in our life will date and we will probably have our heart broken. We will also probably break someone else's heart. So Love is really, and especially romantic love, is really a topic that all of us grapple with at some point in our lives. How to love someone else, what it's like to date, how to be intimate, how comfortable we are with our romantic relationship partners. It's going to be a conversation that you're going to have in your own mind and in your own life at some point. And I really never intended to write a book about breakups. What happened was I gave a talk on self-deception many years ago at this point, a TEDx talk, in which I used myself in romantic relationships as an example of how you can lie to yourself. And I did that really deliberately because it's such a common experience to struggle in romantic relationships for people. And I was very aware of how my own lying kept me in relationships that weren't healthy for me, attracted to people that weren't good for me, um, lacking vulnerability and intimacy with people, even when I really wanted it. And so after giving the talk, I ended up getting so many questions, not necessarily about self-deception, but about 
how to be honest with yourself in romantic relationships. And so this book kind of emerged as a response to that over the years. No, it makes a lot of sense with that. I, you and I have grappled with these questions during our sessions throughout all this whole decade about these. Uh, it's so funny if somebody had like a camera was videotaping what we talked about, it'd be, it would be pretty interesting. Oh, yeah. The majority yes. of that stuff. <laughs> but in talking about one of the things I love about the book is how you open it with talk your vulnerable nature in a relationship that you struggled with breaking up with someone. With yes. That. Why did you do that to open up the book? It's really important for me that in any work I do, people understand that I am a psychologist. I have a doctoral degree in clinical psychology. I think very analytically and I know the research, but I'm also a human being first and foremost. And I struggle with the same things that everyone else as a human struggle with, struggles with, including romantic relationships. And so I really wanted to start the book with just a little tidbit to orient anyone listening to the fact that I absolutely had my heart broken, particularly in a phase in my development, like many of us, it was right when I started college, I was 18 years old. I fell madly in love. And it was that kind of journey of heartache and heartbreak that I think people really relate to. And so I don't want this book to come across as, let me just tell you what you need to do differently to help yourself heal as if I'm an expert who hasn't been there. I am absolutely someone who has been there and understand really how devastating breakups can be. Most definitely. And then when we were talking about this early, when the book was in development, we're discussing, you're going to do it. We talked about love addiction. And I remember thinking, I haven't heard of this really. There's so many types of addiction and things, but you were really like, Hey, this is a legitimate thing. Like love yes. addiction, the high of being in love. Can you talk a little bit about that and how, like, I think a lot of the listeners would be like, what love and addiction? What do you mean? Yeah. And I so understand that because in mainstream culture, when we talk about addictive behavior, we're usually talking about a substance abuse of some sort. So drugs, alcohol, tobacco, but oftentimes we don't think about love as addictive, but there is a really large emerging neurobiological body of research that's showing that the way our brains react when we fall in love, when we have that experience of romantic love that any of you listening have had, if you've ever been in love with someone, it actually probably was designed to be an addictive process in your brain. And that it mimics very much the neurobiological mechanisms that we see when someone is addicted to a substance like cocaine, where you're stimulating the dopaminergic reward center. It's a very survival-based part of your brain that is intended to help you as an organism and us as a species evolve and survive. So think about when you fall in love, any of you who ever have, you meet someone special and all of a sudden they kind of capture your attention. In this sea of potential love interest, this one person has something that makes you interested in them. And as you get to know them better, you start 
to crave them. You find yourself thinking about them all the time. You're planning for the next time you get to see them. You're looking at your phone or you're checking your email. You become hyper-focused on this person as if they are a stimulus, as if they're your addictive person in your life. And once you fall madly in love, you can even hear the language we use. You fall madly in love, your head over heels. It's this profound euphoric experience of emotional elation that really is the high that we're talking about oftentimes that keeps people hooked in any addictive behavior, whether it's to a drug or gambling or sex or chocolate or whatever your kind of preoccupation is. And that doesn't necessarily sound negative, right? I think that's another reason we don't think of love as addictive because when you're in love with someone, it is a wonderful experience. In fact, I think it's probably one of the best natural human highs you will ever experience in life, in the world. The problems emerge really when you fall in love with someone who either is really unhealthy for you or who doesn't love you back. Then you end up in a situation where you're now hyper fixated and preoccupied with someone who is going to probably negatively affect your life or is negatively influencing your symptoms such that you crave them, you want to be with them, you want to understand them, you want this attachment, and you also at some level know that you can't have it or it isn't healthy for you. And so you have to break free somehow. There's a, is there an element too, like, and again, in our private discussions, we've discussed about people who kind of jump to re- different relationships to get the high, you know, almost like they're a junkie for the high of love. Can you speak a little bit about that? Absolutely. And you will see that. And you do see that um, sometimes. And this book in particular is really to help people who have fallen in love with one person and then it ends and you, you really feel like you're still fixated on this one individual that you're trying to let go of. But another thing that we will see in people is that they probably are just looking for that high feeling repeatedly. And in a longer term romantic relationship, it's pretty rare that you feel that euphoric honeymoon high for an extended period of time, right? What you get in a long term romantic relationship is a trade off where over time, your brain systems and your psychological experiences shift from being really high and elated and euphoric around this person to very bonded and connected and safe with this person. And so you will miss perhaps some of that high feeling. For individuals who really are missing that high feeling, sometimes you'll see them jump from relationship to relationship really because they're seeking the high of what it feels like to be in love instead of the connectedness of what it is like when you're in a longer term, more meaningful, intimate relationship with someone. And that can also be problematic depending on your goals or what you want. You know, when you're a young adult, if you're trying to experiment and understand yourself, it may not be particularly problematic for you to jump around (laughs) and and try different relationships. If you're wanting to settle down and have a family or you really love someone and they're not open to you continuing to have romantic relationships with other people, then that really could be a problem in your life that you want to tackle and change. 
It was interesting. I started thinking about how, like, how would breaking up, how was breaking up different and the difficulty of it and letting go? How has that changed from, let's say you and I are the same age, but like for people now with the internet and social media, how does that dynamic, how is that dynamic maybe different than maybe in the past uh, when we were young, a little bit younger? It's such a good question. And it's one that a lot of literature is tackling, I would say right now. And I think the most basic answer that I can give is that I'm not sure that it's any different in the constructs. So when you and I were younger and we didn't have cell phones and we didn't really have internet and you were dating, what was happening in your brain and what was happening in your experience of love was probably very similar to what anyone who's a young adult right now dating experiences. The difference is the tools that you have at your disposal to create chaos in your relationships <laughs> are different, right? So, you know, a hundred years ago, perhaps you had to write letters to your loved one and, and because there was no even phone. Now you can look them up on social media in one second. You can check for text messages constantly. You have access to so much more information about what your ex is doing, if they're dating someone else, where they are. I mean, it's that part has what is what is different, the access to them and what that means to your symptoms and your experiences if you're struggling. But the actual need for love and need for human connection and desire to have a mate or a romantic partner is probably very similar than it than it always has been. Yeah, I, I definitely think it's similar. It's interesting how the internet has been a strange thing. I know like you've done some work with like dating apps and stuff. And, and um, I feel like that's a really strange, like you and I have never had to really go through that. And <laughs> it feels like if you breaking up with someone, the obsession or maybe just the addiction of someone, it's like you have more tools at the, your disposal to like be more obsessive about it. Definitely. It was like harder back in the day. It's like, it's like, I hate to say this, but you almost had to like stalk the person, like to like physically go and like do reconnaissance missions. Now you could just be at home and just look around, you know? That is certainly a struggle. And I think I see that so much in young adults who are going through breakups. There was an element, I would say, when we were younger, where you really could get some distance from your ex if you had a Brad breakup. Yeah. Even if you went to school together or were in college together, there were ways that you could sort of cut yourself off from them more easily. Now, everything is so interconnected and so online that it's actually probably going to bombard you with triggers and memories. Even for example, let's say you know, you had a restaurant that you went to regularly with your ex and the internet tracks all of the things that you like, right? So, you know, you get those pop-up ads where you're like, how do they know this about me? And it's because you've been searching for, you know, that new toaster for three months. Yeah. And so now you get toaster ads constantly, right? Well, you are very likely then to have reminders through advertisements, through mutual friends, um, any kind of social media interaction is more in your face. And it's much harder, I would say, for people nowadays to really take the space that 
often they need in order to grieve the end of a meaningful relationship. Yeah, that's what it seems like. I I try to inform myself with this with other people who are dating because I'm like, man, I haven't dated someone in like 20 years, you know, but it's it seems like it's a minefield. But, you know, I wonder, like, as someone writing this book, how how do you take how do you glean things from your writing into your own personal life? How does this influence that? I mean, obviously, it's not about breaking up in your life, but like, what are the lessons you take from writing something like this and then applying it to your own uh, life and your relationships? You know, I fully believe that the goal for us as humans is to be as honest with yourself as possible. <laughs> Because the more honest you are about who you are, what you need, what you care about, the more freedom you have to make deliberate choices in your life that lead you to fulfillment. And the more you thwart your own growth, the bigger the consequences are going to be as you go through this journey of life and see that you're not actually authentically embracing this as your own journey of personal development. And so when I write anything, including this book, what I really most profoundly hope for anyone who listens to me or who reads something that I write is that they will take some core solid psychological information and be able to apply it to their own life so that they are living in the most fulfilling way possible for them. And that is so hard to do in practice. You know, we can talk about self-awareness and self-assessment as if they're these things, oh, you just go do it. You just figure it out. Living a deliberate conscious life is so much work because you have to think about things. You have to notice things. You have to be self-aware. You have to fight off any of your ego-based defenses that will try to keep you protected and try to keep you from changing. But as you do that, you get this most beautiful gift. You get the freedom to create yourself and your life so that at the end of your life, you aren't full of regret. You look back and say, I did the best I could with the information that I had. And I did that every day. And it's those choices that you make each day of your life that seem small. These aren't the choices like, should I marry this person or divorce this person or move to this city or take this job? I'm talking about in a moment where you have a negative thought about yourself or a moment where you're thinking about your ex and want to send them a text message or the moment you open the fridge and really want to have the chocolate bar, but no, that's really not in your best interest health-wise, that you pause and you say, let me think about this for a minute. What choice do I want to make? Is it enhancing my life and helpful for me? Or is it actually something that's going to hurt me in the long run? It's that process every day that will eventually lead you to being as secure and safe and empowered in your own skin as possible. So that when hardships come your way, like a really brutal breakup or even a divorce of, you know, someone you've been in a relationship with for 30 years, you're able to take it in stride without letting it break your spirit. One of the things um, I admire most about you, Courtney, um, 
is all the things you've shared with me throughout the years about your life. And probably the greatest thing that I've witnessed about you, I think this is important for the listeners because as the therapist and practice and doing these things is, I know that you had a complicated relationship with your mother growing up, Mm -hmm. but one of the most beautiful things is how you came together with you and your mom and her end of her life and the honesty you had with each other. That was beautiful. And actually being a part of that, peering into that over that time and all the time you spent and all of the conversations you discussed with me about that, I thought, you know, this is someone who actually really lives their practice and there's no BS here. And uh, I just I just think about it, I thought a lot of experts or you, you will come on and they say stuff. But, you know, behind the scenes, they may not actually be doing the work. You are mm. all about the work. I just thought I wanted to tell you that I admire that about you so much. I, that's probably the greatest compliment you could give me, Darian. I really appreciate that. You know, my mother, like many of our parents, for anyone listening out there, a la Freud way back when, you know, your relationship with your mother is perhaps the most important relationship of your life. Um, there are lots of reasons for that. My mother was a very complicated woman. She was brilliant. She was loving. She was thoughtful, but she had a very complicated early childhood past that was very traumatic and really affected her emotional well-being. And as a young child, uh, I had some really big challenges because of it. Like many of the listeners, my parents were divorced at a really young age. My parents had a very dysfunctional, very abusive, very violent relationship before their divorce. And my mother ended up in a mental institution for a while. And so as I aged and had to unpack how that affected me in my romantic relationships, welcome to Mm self-deception for any of you who are interested in that topic. Um, I really had to come to a place where I could see her as a separate person from me and appreciate all of the wonderful gifts she gave, gave me, which were many, but also forgave her for the things she taught me that she did not intend to teach, but that dramatically affected me anyway. And so she died a couple of years ago with a terminal illness right at the beginning of COVID. And when we found out her diagnosis, I really had to pause and really think through, how do I want to end my relationship with my mother? She is who she is. There are some things that are not ever going to change about her that are hard for me. And there are some things that I absolutely love and appreciate about her. So let's be deliberate. How are we going to craft the end of your life? How am I going to help support you through it? How am I going to get to a place with you where you leave this planet and we don't have any unfinished business? That is my goal. And that's what we did. And I am forever grateful for that because You know, I really, I've said this many times, I think living with regret is one of the most painful experiences you have as a human because regret is kind of made up of two parts. The first part is 
the longing for a different outcome. So it's looking back and wishing that something different had transpired or happened. But the second part of it is, and I could have done something to get that. I am somehow responsible for the outcome that was created. And I knew better. And I could have done it differently. And I didn't. And you put those two things together. And it is so painful as a human because it's those moments in your life where you think, oh my gosh, I knew better. She was dying. I knew she was dying. And I didn't say those things to her. I didn't have those conversations. I didn't try to resolve it while I could. And now she's gone. And now I'm just left with this hole. And as a therapist and as a psychologist, the hardest part of that is that we can't go back and fix it now because it already happened. So now our journey is to try to get comfortable with the choices that you actually made. And some of that is going to hurt and cut and be profoundly, horrendously painful for you. So the degree to which you as a human being can really deliberately say, this is the situation I'm in. This is the hopeful outcome that I have, what I have control over. Only what you have control over because you can't control other people. If you can then look yourself in the mirror and say, I did the best I could to get this outcome so that I don't have regret about how our relationship ended. I promise you, even if the outcome is painful, you will stand taller. You will love yourself more. You will have more self-respect and trust because you did what you thought was right, independent from whatever anybody else said or thought or did. You know what's interesting? One, thank you for sharing that. And um, I, I was always blown away by all the effort you gave towards the end of your mother's life. Like, seriously, I would tell my wife all the time, I was like, Courtney's doing it. And I, I thought it was really interesting because your mother's passing and my wife's mother's passing was in a kind of a five-year span together. And Michelle's was very different. You know, she tried to do all the things and there was a lot of resistance. Um, but we're all basically crafting the end of someone's life, the mm -hmm. relationship. I mean, it's all going to break up at some point <laughs> on some level. We're all going to die, Darian. We're all so going to die. <laughs> You know, these are the things we talk about during these sessions. <laughs> They're light topics, right? We're yeah, very light topics. Just light stuff. But I I wanted to jump into a little bit because I love talking to you about this. And I think this is so good for our audience, too, is um, why is it so hard to be honest with yourself? It's so hard because we are psychologically protected from truths that hurt us. Mm. We are constructed to survive, to keep ourselves safe, to keep ourselves afloat. And that includes trying to maintain a version of reality that we can psychologically tolerate. So Humans become excellent liars, first and foremost, to themselves, to protect themselves from admitting things that they don't want to be true, that they wish were different. The really, really big catch here 
is that we protect ourselves from pain by deceiving ourselves, but we also restrict ourselves from growth. So you enter into this dialectic dilemma between staying safe and staying comfortable, even if that comfort is in a highly dysfunctional, completely painful, terrible life reality, or having a radical shift in perspective that literally forces in your face a reality that you've been avoiding, that you've been trying to distract yourself from, that you don't really want to admit. But when you do, now you have this wonderful opportunity for freedom and growth. Because once you're confronted with a difficult reality, you now have the opportunity to grieve it, to understand it, and eventually, hopefully, to accept it so that you can utilize it to transform the way that you live your life. And so in that way, we deceive ourselves because it protects us, but it event in the long run, it only hurts you. It only hurts you more to continue to lie to yourself. It's kind of like, and, uh, and going back to relationships, a lot of people may see that you're in a, not a great relationship, but you yourself may not want to see it. Yes. Let's talk a little bit about that, because I think so many people have had that. Maybe their friends said, I don't think this person is good for you. This seems like a bad relationship. And then you make all these excuses for this person about all the qualities that, you know, are not great, but you try to like pass them off as being OK. I think at some level, the reason that falling in love feels so good is because it's based in a fantasy version of your lover. <laughs> And I mean that in the most loving possible way that I could present it. Part of the love experience, romantic love experience is that you find this person and you somehow are convinced that they are the best because they make you feel so good. They're this magical human and you could give just the constant giddy rendition to all of your friends about how wonderful they are and how beautiful they are and handsome and generous and, and your friends like you may be looking at them sometime going, I mean, are you serious? Cause I don't <laughs> see any of that. I, I see zero of those qualities in the person you're dating right now. I'm listening to you. I, I hear that you believe them and I see it all over your face. You look elated. You're, you're giddy. You're excited, but I don't see it. So oftentimes when you're in a relationship like that, over time, you will naturally have some of that fantasy deceptive part taken away. And some of that's really healthy. So as you move from a really high induced romantic relationship into a more attached relationship, oftentimes you're confronted with a much more honest version of your mate, which includes a whole bunch of unattractive qualities, <laughs> things you don't like about them. And they slowly come into your conscious awareness. Like, oh, I actually really don't like that about you. Um, and the hope is that you pair with someone or you're, you're dating someone who, even when you see the things you don't like, you still choose them, right? Like that's really what a longer term relationship, meaningful relationship is. It's the ability to see your partner honestly, see yourself honestly, and still actively choose 
to have them in your life, despite the things that you don't like, (laughs) or perhaps even better said, because of the things that you don't like, there's this embracing of the other person as a whole being for who they are. Their job in life is not to be who you want them to be. It is also not to be the ideal person according to your criteria. Their job in life is to be the best versions of themselves possible. Just like your version in this life is to do the same, right? Um, Sometimes after the falling in love phase, it becomes obvious that you're not a good fit for each other. And you as a friend might be watching this person who you love and admire and care about with someone and you're thinking, this person is an absolute nightmare. They're not healthy for you. They have some really dysfunctional tendencies. They don't make you feel good, whatever it is you're noticing. And oftentimes when your friend who you're talking to can't acknowledge it, it's because they're defensive. Or as you just said, they're making excuses. They're trying to still salvage this relationship because they don't really want to acknowledge that it's not good for them or that maybe they should consider making some shifts in their relationship. It doesn't mean they need to break up, but that perhaps something needs to change in order for this to function or be healthy for them. So what I would say is if you see people that you love in relationships that you think are really unhealthy or problematic, you're not alone. It it happens to all of us probably where we love someone and we think they're not with a partner who's very healthy for them. And I think our role is probably best served to speak from our own experience about what we observe and see from a place of love and non-judgmentalism because those things generally don't go well in relationships. So saying something to them like, I really love you. You know that I care about you. You know that you're really a meaningful part of my life. And I want to share my perspective on your relationship with you simply because I care about you. And I don't want to regret that I haven't shared it in case it's relevant to your decision-making process. This is what I notice. This is how it seems like it affects you. And this is why it worries me. And you present it in the most loving way that you can. And then you let go of control and you let them use the information as they see fit on their life journey. Well said, <laughs> very well said. But you know, what's interesting is that, uh, again, uh, st- stuff we've talked about for sure is you notice that there's just a whole lot of breaking up that's happening. And statistically, we know that a lot of marriage ends in divorce And this is not even counting the people who are just staying together out of fear, potentially (laughs) of being single. That percentage is probably way higher once you add in that. Why is it so hard to grow with someone over a long period of time in a relationship? Well, so many reasons. Our needs change over time. So who you are and what you want when you're 20 looks a lot different oftentimes than what you want when you're 40. You know yourself better, hopefully. You see your mate more realistically. Things about your lifestyle might be different that really didn't bother you when you were 25. But now at 45, you're thinking, this isn't how I want to choose to use my time. I think also 
there's so much cultural pressure and unrealistic messages about what a healthy romantic relationship should be or looks like that many of us internalize without even deliberately questioning when we're young. So for example, if you entered into a relationship by choice, so you didn't have an arranged marriage, there's very much the cultural message that you should marry someone who you fall in love with. They're your soulmate. They complete you. There's one person for you. It should be this you know, to become one experience, which really is problematic on so many levels and based very strongly in faulty beliefs about love, about relationships, about your own identity as a human being. And so if you enter into a long-term relationship with some of those expectations culturally, that can really, really set you on a bad trajectory over time to not break up because your expectations are probably highly skewed and not realistic. It was interesting. I feel like when you grow up, you're, you're not given this information, like how we're discussing it. It's like you're relying on your parents or some other figure in your life to explain to you like this love thing. <laughs> and right. being with someone and then all these factors like, you know, seeing uh, a positive relationship or seeing a negative relationship. Mm -hmm. How can this best be cultivated in young people growing up to get the best information to make the best decision about entering a relationship? Mm. Well, it starts with the parents and the people in our lives and our communities being honest about what romantic relationships really mean and entail in your life. So for example, as a parent, I think modeling healthy conflict and conflict resolution is critical. But in Western cultural contexts in general, we really try to protect our kids from conflict. And one of the things that happens is that if kids grow up in a really adverse environment, which we know is going to predispose them to struggling in their romantic relationships and actually struggle with all kinds of health issues that are broader than that. But they're very likely to see conflict handled in an incredibly unhealthy way through physical violence, through neglect, through abuse, through substance use, through distraction. In a more functional household, for myself, for example, as a parent, there are times that I don't share with my kids just simple things that are difficult uh, that my husband and I have to negotiate. And actually, it's really important for them to see that I don't agree with my husband about everything. And it doesn't mean that I don't love him. And it doesn't mean that I'm leaving. And it doesn't mean that we're not a team on this family together. It means that we have to find ways to negotiate disagreements and discord and different values and different things that we want in our lives or don't want in our lives. And I think giving children and giving our culture a broader perspective of what it takes to stay in a close relationship with a partner, a romantic partner, that it's going to have ups and downs, that there are going to be phases of your life where any of us as human beings are going to have very painful, difficult, adverse experiences. And that it 
is a journey if you're going to go through those with a partner. And sometimes it's ugly and sometimes it's painful. And sometimes your partner is going to hurt you unintentionally or intentionally. And that doesn't mean that you walk away immediately. It means that we have to teach ourselves and those around us skills to navigate that with love, with respect, with compassion. I'm always going to go back to the most self-actualized values of humans, the things that I believe all of us should aspire to become over the course of life. We're never going to really get there, but it's the goal. Things like having empathy, having compassion, enduring some pain, trying to work with someone from a non-judgmental place of, let me understand you. Let me see you. Let me respect you enough to try to see your perspective on this. And even if at the end of the day, I completely agree with, disagree with you, I still am approaching you, hopefully from the best version of myself. So much of long-term romantic relationships require that you are able to respect and acknowledge your partner as a separate entity from yourself and embrace them for that without trying to change them while learning to communicate you and who you are as a separate entity from them and what you want to do with your life. And then you find overlaps between the two of you so that hopefully you have a couple identity or a, a joint identity that is fulfilling and that's more fulfilling with them in your life than not. Because if it's more fulfilling to not have them in your life anymore, <laughs> I probably am going to be the outlier here and say, I don't actually believe that staying married is inherently the right choice. Yeah. Most definitely. And I think we always discuss this during our training sessions about like you and I both like to have alone time. Oh, yeah. And that's really important. And but I think sometimes you get into relationship and you think, well, I have to be around this person. Like we have to do all these things together. We, we have to be able to hike together. We have to be able to go do watch the opera together. And it's like, oh, I was like, no, <laughs> like you need you are still an individual person that had all these goals and aspirations before you met this person, other person that to still stay on that path as well, I think is really important. You know, it's so central. It's central because you never know what life is going to bring your way. There are no guarantees. There are no guarantees that your marriage is going to last, that you're going to want it to last, that your loved ones are going to be healthy and safe, that people aren't going to die, that you're not going to go bankrupt, that the economy is not going to go through COVID. You can't possibly know. The only thing you have control over is yourself. And so learning to deliberately explore yourself and manage yourself and embrace yourself is so much of the journey of life. And I absolutely wouldn't encourage people to lose themselves in relationships. That's really, really a, a dangerous place to be because then you end up in the addictive nature of love, as we were describing, really attaching your value and your identity to something outside of yourself. And that is never a good thing for you. Even if you adore your children and you adore your spouse and you adore your parents, you are still you. Don't lose that. Man, 
So awesome. So good. Courtney, I got to tell you, this is just as good as I thought it was going to be <laughs> for that. And I and I talk to you all the time. I, I'm like one of the few people that actually talks to Courtney on a regular basis. It's like a, four days a week, Darian, because we train four days a week. Yeah, it's actually a huge honor because I know how private you are. And I know that you are very selective about the people you have in your life on a regular basis. And uh, I was just telling one of our mutual friends together, I was like, I have a very unique peer into Courtney's life that many humans do not get. I am incredibly honored to have that space in your life. Incredibly honored for that. And so I appreciate you. I care about you. I'm grateful. I have so much gratitude for your place in my existence on a regular basis. Seriously. You are just a gem, Darian. I would say the same things about you. You are certainly an amazing trainer for anyone out there who follows his fitness expertise, but far more importantly than that, you are such a wonderful human being who really elevates people's lives physically and emotionally. And I trust you and admire you and respect you tremendously. That means a lot coming from you, Courtney, for sure. And uh, thank you so much. And the, the book is Letting Go of Your Ex, uh, an incredible read, very easy to read, lots of great exercises in there that if you do the exercise, you'll confront your reality. You know, will. There's, there's a lot of self-deception information <laughs> in there. So it, it's just awesome. So um, please let everyone know uh, some ways that they can um, get more of your information uh, and connect uh, with your body of work. My website is drcourtney.com. That's C-O-R-T-N-E-Y.com. I have Instagram and YouTube and uh, TikTok. I just started a TikTok channel. These are not natural to me. I'm not much of a social media person, but they are ways that I can help spread some solid empirically supported psychological material to the public. And so if you do follow social media, feel free to follow me, uh, read the book, write a review. Certainly, I I hope that everything I do helps elevate people's lives. So you can follow me in any of those places. I also give talks and do public speaking quite often. Most definitely. And definitely go to YouTube and watch that TED talk. That's one of the, actually, when I met Courtney, I think you had already done the talk already. Or I something think like I had. That. And uh, it has like 1.8 million views. It's wildly popular, but it's one of the first ways I knew Courtney because I could, I think I could say this, but like when I met Courtney, she threw me off quite a bit because I wasn't <laughs> used to Courtney's, like most people, like when they train, they want to talk. A lot of people want to talk. Courtney's like, we'll talk, but when we're done, I'm, I got to go. I gotta get out of here. I was like, I gotta learn more about this person. This is different <laughs> than what I'm used to. And I watched the TED talk. I was blown away by how you convey your information. And you have taught me so much in my life. I know you know this. And with like just all the things about meaning of life, creating meaning, um, honesty, self-deception. All these things. I mean, a couple zingers in there over the years. I'm like, I got to reorient myself here. <laughs> <laughs> the bell curve, all this stuff, man. <laughs> <It was> like, 
Oh my gosh. There's so much there, Darian. Yeah. You know what? It happens to me too. I have to rearm myself regularly when there's something that happens. And I think, oh my gosh, seriously, court, you got to work on this. This is not yeah. okay. <laughs> yeah. Right. It's always yes. a journey. Yes. And um, so thank you so much for your time, Courtney. And uh, make sure everybody go get the book, Letting Go of Your Ex. Thank you so much. Thank you.